What would we do without our dads? Happy Father's Day, dads. What a blessing that can be in our life, and what a blessing that we have a heavenly Father who loves us even more, who really does love us more and cares for us and teaches us and continues to teach us every day. And that's why we're in this letter, this letter to the Roman church, is because God does care for his children. And that's what Paul has realized. In a way, in his life, he he came to find that God loved him more than he could imagine. And so we're studying this letter to the church at Rome. Remember, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, a church he hadn't founded. And he's writing basically and presenting his gospel. This is what the gospel is, Paul is saying. The entire book is basically the gospel. And so he's telling this church, and if you've got your Bibles, I'd ask you to open them up. We're going to be in Romans today, chapter 7. Romans is that book that comes after the four gospels, then after the letter, or after the Acts, letters of the apostles. And so then comes Romans, we're in chapter 7, which is after 6 and before 8. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in chapter 7. But I thought we'd kind of do a refresh in where we've come from and Week one, we started by looking at those first 17 verses of Romans and where we said these two verses, 16 and 17, are the foundation for the entire book. All of the rest of what Paul says is going to rest upon these two verses, and that is, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. That is the gospel when preached that wrenches the heart. The full gospel when preached wrenches the heart and creates faith in the heart of the hearer. You know, you've heard it said to preach the gospel and use words when necessary. And Paul says it's always necessary to use words when you preach the gospel because it is the gospel is the power of God to create faith. And that faith will declare that person as righteous and the righteous will live by that faith. And so everything Paul says rests upon this foundation But then he spends the next two and a half chapters talking about this problem that each of us have, and it's sin. Sin in the world and the sin that is in us. And there's no one righteous, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the condition of every man if it it were not for the work of Jesus Christ. That is where everyone would be. Because the righteous, as we learn, will live by faith and will be declared righteous, the righteousness of Christ. And that has always been God's plan because we learned in chapter 4, as Paul said, that's always been the plan. It goes all the way back to Abraham, that Abraham was declared righteous when he believed. Not by his obeying the law, but, but he believed God and God's promise to make him into a father, even at his old age, of, a, of many nations, not just one nation, but many. And those who have been declared righteous, who have faith, have been given faith, are truly children of Abraham. Not by observing the law, but by faith. We are heirs, true heirs of Abraham. In week four, Dan reminded us that therefore, because we have been declared righteous, we are justified. And he explained that justified is saying, just as if I'd never sinned. That's exactly how God sees us. That is how he has declared each of us who have faith. We have been justified, declared righteous, a gift from God. And then two weeks ago, we looked at because of what Jesus did, because we have been declared righteous, because we have faith, we have died to sin. Jesus died 
and was buried and was resurrected. And in our baptism, when we're given the Holy Spirit, when we're given faith, we too participate in that death to sin. And sin no longer has dominion over us. It's no longer our master. We have a new master. It no longer has sway or power over us. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it no longer, we no longer have to serve it as we did before. We've been set free from sin. We've died to sin. But it still exists. And so Paul continues this week in chapter 7 by talking to us as he has throughout this entire six chapters up to this point about our relationship to the law, that we're no longer under the law, that we have died to the law, that heirs of God's kingdom, heirs to Abraham, are not found by observing the law. And now Paul puts the final nail in our condition to say, and we're not under the law. In fact, we've died to the law. We've been delivered from the law. And that's where we pick up in chapter 7. We pick up and we look at this problem of sin still that's still in our life. And how do we deal with that? But before we get there, I'd ask if you would, pray with me as we begin. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you continue to do in our life, that you are truly a good father. This day we give you thanks for the fathers in our life, but we thank you most of all for your love and care and concern for us. But Father, we gather here each week and we humbly ask that you continue to minister to us in this time, that you continue to mold us and shape us and break that crust around our hearts change us to more the image of your Son to be light in this world. We ask that for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, Paul's addressing a question here in this text, and he's really presenting this entire case as a personal case. You'll see as Paul talks through Romans 7, he talks about himself. He talks about his experience, his struggle with sin still in his life and how we handle this struggle. And he includes himself in this struggle. This isn't a struggle that everybody else has and Paul doesn't. He says, I still have the same struggle. After having been declared righteous, I still have the same struggle and still struggle with these questions like, why do I still struggle with sin if I'm a Christian? Why is it that I still struggle with sin and I still keep finding myself doing what it is I don't want to do? Why is it I keep doing that? And what does it say about me? Does it say that maybe I move in and out of this secure state that Paul talks about? Maybe I'm no longer as secure as I used to be because I keep finding myself trapped in the sin? Or maybe does it mean I've never been saved in the first place? Paul answers that question this morning. And so I believe in a brilliant way, using a great example, just to finally put a nail in the coffin and say, this is where you are, this is who you are, do not, do not forget this. And so he talks about our deliverance from the law. We've been delivered from sin, and now he says, we've also been delivered from the law. And he uses a modern day example that still today exists to get us to understand what that means and what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, we're in Romans 7. I'm using NIV, and that's what I'll be reading from this morning as we go. Paul says, 
Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law. And he's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about law in general. He's writing to the church in Rome and to some who never had the Mosaic law. But he's saying to law. So you understand everybody is basically under law. So you'll all get this example, he says. That the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, she has sex, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. That is what the law calls her. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who raised, who, whom raised, who raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us that, that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Remember where we came from in chapter 6. Paul says that we have died to sin. Sin is no longer our master. That's where he concludes. There are these two paths. One leads to life, the other death. Sin's path always leads to death. <clears throat> but he says we've died to that tyrant. We've died to that king. We have been released from his rule. And then he goes on to say, for do you not know that the law has authority over you only when someone is still alive? And he uses this example of marriage. Now he's not talking about, he's not trying to give you this example about what divorce is and what divorce isn't. He, it is applicable, but that's not the point. He wants to give us an example of everyday common law so that we truly understand our position before the law. He says, as a married woman in this time, in Roman times, has lesser authority in the marriage, has a lesser standing in the marriage. A husband at that time, all he has to do is write a letter, present it to her and said, I divorce you and it's over. She's not afforded the same rights. But it's crucial that we see there are two people in close relationship to one another. Because the law that binds them together binds the two of them together, no one else. She's hus he is husband to her, she is wife to him. That's the law. And if she has sexual relations with another man while still married to him, she is considered an adulteress according to the law. But if he dies, she's released from that law. She's no longer wife to him. The law no longer applies to her. And so we see in the death of the husband, the wife released from the law of marriage. In essence, Paul is saying the wife actually dies as well. The wife doesn't exist. The wife only exists as long as the husband exists. But now the husband doesn't exist. So therefore the wife, as wife, the woman still exists, but as wife she does not exist. Because the husband has died. She has been released from that law of marriage. It no longer has dominion over her. Her relationship to that law has changed. That's what Paul's saying about us. In the same way, 
You see, he ties it into Jesus Christ and our relationship with Jesus Christ to make that point. See, when the husband dies, who does it release? Only his wife. Not all wives. Only she is released from the law of marriage. And what husband? All husbands die and then she's released? No, only her husband. Only his death releases her from the law of marriage. And so he draws the connection to us. He's saying all of those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, who have his spirit living in them, who, are, who have faith, who have been declared righteous, those in relationship to Jesus have been set free from the law through his death and through your death, basically participating with him in his death. You, in relationship to Jesus, just as the woman is released from the law of marriage, you too have been released from the law. In essence, you have died to the law. The law no longer has dominion over you in the way that it has. The law no longer condemns you. Your relationship to the law has changed, which is a great example that Paul uses because the law still exists. The law of marriage still exists. God's law still exists. It just doesn't apply to the wife as it once did. Her relationship to the law has changed the same way our relationship to the law has changed. Paul says in 5 and 6, he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, you know, in that sinful nature only, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. You know, it's like when somebody tells you you can't do something, you just want to do it even more. You know, when you tell a child they can't have something, all they want is it more. When my wife says, I can't have ice cream, all I want is ice cream. It's Father's Day, so I deserve ice cream today. <laughs> Even though that law might be good for me, it raises in me those sinful passions to do what I shouldn't do. That is how, law, that is how the law worked in us prior to being saved. Now the law and our relationship to the law has changed. It's no longer the same. He says... But now, by dying to what once bound us, and that once bound us is sin. What once bound us was sin. We haven't been released from the law so that we can serve in it. We've been released from the law so that we can serve in a new way. We have a new relationship to the law. It's no longer condemning us. And not in the old way of the written code. See, sin used law to awaken in us spiritual, these unspiritual passions. It used the law in a, in a bad way, but the law has only been good. The law is only good. And so we've died to the law. Literally, we've died to the law. The way the law used to speak to us no longer has dominion over us. Through the body of Christ, that relationship with Jesus, that relationship frees us. And so Paul here in this chapter 7 is speaking to those who have been saved. Talks about how we used to be, but now we're no longer that same person. That we have truly been declared righteous, and our relationship to the law has completely changed. And how we view it, and the purpose of law in our life. And so Paul continues by saying, so then what shall we say, is the law sinful? Because it says, when the law came, it only increased my sin. He says that in chapter 5. When the law came, I sinned more. So is the law itself sinful? He says, certainly not. 
He said, nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. But I would not have known what covening really was if the law had said, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. <clears throat> but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covening. For apart from the law, sin was dead or dormant, inactive in me. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring, become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it, meaning the law, used what is good to bring about my death, my spiritual death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Paul is saying that the law is good. And the regenerate person, the saved person, sees that. The law brought about his death, he says. It brought about his spiritual death. See, before the law that came to Paul, before Jesus appeared to him and showed him exactly who he was, before that, Paul is saying, this is how I saw my life. Everything was good. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I obeyed the law to the letter. And everything was good because I knew who I was. Everything was quiet. Sin wasn't rising up within Paul. Paul thought himself secure. He had this sense of false security within him. Because he says, where is it? I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. He says, but once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. When Jesus appeared and revealed to him who he really was, he was terrified. The law completely undid Paul. And the law showed him exactly who he was, exactly his condition, exactly what sin was. And at the very moment, Paul was completely undone. And he knew at that moment the security that he felt was no security whatsoever. That he was unclean. That he was lost. And see, it was at the very same moment that Jesus gives him the gospel, the good news. That he didn't come to kill him, but he came to save him. And to use him to save others. His sin was exposed. When the law came, it says... Sin sprang to life. Sin was dormant up until that point. It had no need to convict Paul. It had no need to rise up. Because Paul was lost. He thought himself secure. There's no reason for sin to cause this war within him. But now that the commandment came, sin sprang to life. And Paul was able to see sin for what it really was. 
Do you hear how Paul's talking about sin? He personifies it. He's done that in 4 and 5 and again in 7. He speaks of it. It's sin that lives in me. It's sin that sees the opportunity. There's this power, not just the sins that I commit, but sin. This power that's in the world and still in me that springs to life and reveals itself. That's what the commandment did. That was the good purpose for which the commandment came to reveal our true condition to ourselves so that we could hear the good news of the gospel. Because when I'm secure, I don't need saving. But when I understand my condition, I cry out. I cry out. Jesus did the same thing. In Matthew chapter 5, when he begins his Sermon on the Mount, if you recall in that chapter, starting I think about verse 21, he starts this excursus where he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder that you shall not kill. He said, but I tell you, if you've said in your, to yourself that you hate your brother, you're guilty of the same commandment. You thought the bar was here, the bar is way up here. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're guilty of the same sin. You feel the weight that Jesus puts on the person? And then he finishes that whole section with this, even weightier, He says, you therefore, you need to be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Not just better than most, but perfect. You feel the weight of that as you stand there maybe feeling morally superior to others? You feel the weight of those words? That's the purpose of those words. And so that you understand your condition before a perfect God. That's where we all stand, if it not were for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Because we've been delivered from sin and death and the law. The law no longer condemns us. But there's still this struggle that goes on inside of us. There's still this question that we ask, So why is it that I still struggle with sin? If I'm dead to the law, if I've died to sin, if it's no longer my master, why do I still wrestle with it? And Paul says, not only you, but me. I wrestle with it as well. And he continues in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good, the good, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law, this principle, this rule at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. 
Can you relate to Paul's struggle? Can you relate to that struggle of the good that you want to do that you just can't find yourself doing? You do the very opposite, the things that I don't want to do. Sitting down in front of that computer screen, you say you're never going to do that again, and here you are doing it again. The drink you say you'll never take again, you take again. The debt that you go into that you say you'll never do that again, you find yourself back there again. Find yourself struggling with the same sins in your life over and over again. And you sit there and go, why? I know what God's word says about me. I know that I've been set free. I know that I've been declared righteous. Why do I still struggle with this? Paul says he struggles with the same thing. But here's what he's telling you and I this morning. And it's not a cop-out. He says, it's no longer I'm the doing it. It's sin that lives in me. He says, you have been declared righteous. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our person, our self, is more than just this physical body. There's a spirit that we have, a soul we have, in this physical body with all its members. And Paul says, we have been declared righteous. In our spirit, we are completely clean. There is no sin in that spirit. And that's exactly how God sees us. But there's still within us this old self. Our old condition still exists because we still live in this imperfect body that will exist until Jesus comes again, until we are put in the ground that still struggles with sin. But the true self, your true self, is righteous. But you still have this old man walking alongside this new creation that doesn't want to let go. And sin knows exactly how to poke and where to tempt. And it still does that. It's the king that's been deposed that still is marauding in the outside territories. Still in our flesh. Still longing to be king of our heart again. And Paul says, I recognize that's what's going on inside of me. There's this battle for me that God has already won. But the tyrant king still wants to be king and so still harasses me exactly where I need to be harassed if that's going to happen, and that's in my flesh. And so that's where he appeals. And Paul says, I know it's no longer I'm the, me that's doing it. It's sin that lives in me. And you know why he says this earlier multiple times, right? So because we're free from sin, because there's always more grace than there is sin, so I could just keep on sinning within the heart of the Christian, within the heart of the regenerate. It's like, no, that makes no sense whatsoever. So when we answer this question, Paul answers this question, why, as a Christian, do I still struggle with sin? And Paul would say this, it's because you are a Christian that you struggle with sin. It's because the Spirit of God lives in you that you struggle with sin. If the Spirit of God didn't live in you, there'd be no struggle at all. You wouldn't find it hurtful at all. You might be careful about where you do it so nobody else finds out about it, but you wouldn't really care. But Paul's saying the reason you do care, the reason you do struggle, the reason you do find those words that if I sin... Grace always covers and we take it lightly. The reason you find that so despicable is because you are saved, because the Spirit of God does live in you. Your struggle is a sign of that. It's not something that should bring you despair, but it's something that should remind you whose you are. And the reason you struggle with sin is because you are saved. 
And so when you start to hear those voices and say, well, are you sure? Are you sure you're still struggling with this and you've been doing this for years? How can you call yourself a Christian? You speak back to the tyrant and say, I've been declared righteous. That's who I am. That's what God calls me. I know who it is within me. I know who's trying to get my heart. I know where those voices are coming from. And we know that because the Spirit of God lives in us. And so sin has exposed itself for what it really is, and we see it as despicable. And Paul says, we see that the law is good. The reason we know the law is good is because we have a new relationship to the law. And it's no longer condemning us, but guiding us. It reveals our sin still in us. It still shows us our sin, but it also then gives us a way out. It gives us a guide, and the Spirit living in us empowers us as we struggle with sin. And Paul goes on to conclude his letter by saying, what a wretched man I am. Now, this isn't one of despair. This is a confession. Recognizing his sin, Paul confesses, I'm a sinner. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul says, as long as we live in this body, we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to have this struggle the rest of our lives. But Jesus promises, Paul promises through Christ, that that struggle can be less. That we can participate with the Spirit, putting to death that old man. So that we can truly experience the abundant life that Jesus has called us to live. We will not be declared completely righteous in our flesh until we die, until we're given new creations, new bodies. Not corrupted by sin. That battle will be over completely. But until that time, this struggle is going to go on within us. But we need not feel hopeless. There's hope. That's why you need to come back next week. Because we're going to talk about that life with the Spirit. And how we walk with the Spirit. And how the Spirit enables us to be strengthened in our struggles. And to follow the Spirit. Come back next week. Because Paul's not finished. Helping us see who we really are. And whose we are. And just how much God loves you. Come back next week. For Jesus' sake. Amen.